Turn to our Bibles, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And that is the reading of God's word. Now, we we deal with the Ukraine, NATO, the U.S., the bombing, and all of these events that are taking place in our day and age. And, And we wonder, has the end arrived? Are we coming to the end of the times? Let me put some stats for you, put things at ease, because you've heard of rumors and wars and rumors of wars. Okay, let's put some things in context. Of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for only 268 of them. That is 8% of the time that we've spent over the last 3,400 years. Impressive. Between 1776, the founding of our nation, and 2022, the United States have been at war 222 out of 246 years. America has been at war 93% of the time. It's another way to put it. You only, the U.S. have only been at peace for 25 years in our history. So when we read, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, as Matthew 24, 6 Jesus says, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. All of these things are the beginning of birth pains. So, we put things in context. There's nothing new under the sun. And I know that you have all these websites and all these programs and Jack Van Impe sending his videos and selling his videos with Roxella and telling you, it is it, this is it. Been hearing that for decades now. And people still buying the DVDs. I, that, that's, a good, that's a good gig. You, you, you keep under over-promising and under-delivering and people keep buying. I don't know how they do it, but they manage to do it. Is this it? We don't know. Could be. It could not be. Of the day and the hour, no one knows. But what we are living through now, it's not new. And it's important that we keep that into perspective. And I remind you that eschatology 
is a doctrine, the doctrine of the last things, and its purpose is consolation. Its purpose is encouragement, not debate and disassociation. There is eschatology in the Bible to encourage believers. The book of Revelation, that dreaded book, has a blessing to the one who reads it and understanding, because there is consolation for the saints in the book of Revelation, not dread and scary movies of the end times. Now, Paul says concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You want a personal opinion on that? I know it's the word of God. I know it is inspired or exhaled by the Spirit. But I'm really disappointed that Paul thought that. I wish the Thessalonians would have had a lot of need to be written things to them so we would know more. But Paul says, There's, you don't have a lot of need for me to write to you. But Paul is actually very brief and, and very guarded in what he writes about this passage. And this morning, all I want to consider with you regarding this text is, what's the day of the Lord? Because God Paul says, concerning the day of the Lord, I don't have a lot to write to you. You don't need me to write a lot to you. Well, what is that day of the Lord? When is it coming? How is it coming? And then the passage brings a redeeming contrast and ends with a practical application. And that's all I want to do today. And as I said, Didon already covered this. I heard his sermon. If you want the shorter and better version of it, just go back to last week and listen to it. But I'll take another shot at it because it's my text for this morning. Times and seasons. Interesting. The two words used, kairos and chronos. Chronos is time chronologically, chronometer, chronological. Kairos is the time of the opportunity. For example, when Ephesians says, be careful how you use or conduct yourselves, making the most of your time, the word time there is kairos, making the most of the opportunity, because the days are evil. And Paul is basically saying a redundancy. He's just repeating himself. (coughs) I'm sorry. He was a Jewish rabbi. Many times he just says the same thing to make emphasis. Regarding the times, the time in general, or the seasons, or the opportunities, or the occasions. Not a lot to write to you concerning the day of the Lord. And what does he say about the day of the Lord? Well, that expression, the day of the Lord, appears 18 times in prophetic literature. Mostly in Joel and Zephaniah. It appears in similar or synonyms 208 times in the Old Testament. So it is a common expression that a Jew like Paul was well aware of the day of the Lord, the final day, the day of judgment, the great day, the day of doom, the day of darkness. It was a terrible day. And Paul says, I don't have a lot to write to you. But when a Jewish rabbi quoting the Old Testament, or not quoting it, but at least with the Old Testament concept of the day of the Lord speaks, his mind is referring to the end of times. His mind is referring to when things will be finished and completed. 
because God's final judgment will come into play. Now, when is that? In the Bible, the day of the Lord already happened in the year 587 before Christ when Jerusalem fell. Now, there were three deportations to Babylon. First the nobles and the first king, then second group of people, and finally the land was desolated. When the city was burned by the Babylonians, the prophet called that terrible day of destroying the temple and the city of God the day of the Lord. It already happened. Then the prophets already referred to the day of the Lord in 539 before Christ when Babylon, those whom God used to take away God's people and punish them, were themselves punished because of their cruelty by the hands of the Medes and the Persians. And that was also called in the Old Testament the day of the Lord to signal, to point to God's judgment, to a terrible event of God intervening in the life of a people on occasion of their sin. Then Joel predicts the day of the Lord still in the future. And according to Luke in chapter 2 of Acts, that day of the Lord predicted by Joel happened in the day of Pentecost. Because it was also the day of ushering in something new. Something new was brought in in Pentecost when the old covenant was taken away even though it happened at the cross. But it is the official inauguration of the church age and of the new covenant. And that day of the Lord also is described in the words of Joel as fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Of course, there's a day of the Lord that is still yet to happen because Paul says concerning the day of the Lord and he talks about it in the future, there's not a lot I need to write to you about. I hope we are clear that the concept of the day of the Lord more than a specific day, it's more of a concept which implies a period or an occasion of God's judgment. That day of the Lord, or of Christ, is not a 24-hour period. It's more a season. Regarding the times and the seasons, I don't have a lot to write to you. Those judgments described before didn't happen in 24 hours. They, They happened in more than 24 hours. Now what is interesting that that day of the Lord or day of Christ, at least in the language of 2 Corinthians 1.14, it's a good day for the believer. It is the day of reward. It is the day of the coming of Christ. It is the day when believers will be joined to their Savior. So what is judgment and doom, it's also glory and joy for The Christian. Now, what does our text say about this future day of the Lord? Notice verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. And then this illustration, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
What does Paul say about this day of the Lord? I see three things. Maybe you see 30, and that's fine. Remember, when I give you the things I see in these snippets, it's not that Paul is following my outline. No, I'm following what Paul wrote, and I'm just figuring ways to say it in kind of catchy or memorable ways to remember. But at least I see three things. It is an unexpected day. It is a cataclysmic event, and it is inescapable. So in verse 3, I see the day of the Lord is unexpected. It is cataclysmic. There's no escape from it. Well, there's one. I'll tell you later what it is. This issue of being unexpected, if you have read technical reading on eschatology, this is called as imminence. And the coming of the Lord is imminent. What does imminence mean or mean? It means that you will not be able to pinpoint it and, and know exactly what's going to happen. If you like watching the NBA, if you like watching the heat, you see all the motions, people doing things, what are they looking for? Getting the good shooter on the screen and then sending him to one of the corners so he can shoot alone. You kind of, and I always, when I'm watching the game, I try to tell my wife, see something that is not the ball so you can have fun. Don't follow the ball, follow the players running. And all they're doing is trying to isolate their best shooter so the shooter shoots. Well, the day of the Lord is not that way. The day of the Lord is a play that's going to leave everybody like, huh? What happened? That's the meaning of imminence. You will not be able to count seven years or three and a half years or a thousand years and say, ha, got it. You will not be able to see, oh, here's the guy with a mark in the forehead. And here's the guy who stabbed me, stamped my arm with a 666. Now, what day is today? March 13th. Mark it. In 2029, March 13th, Jesus will come back. It's not, that's not the way the Bible presents it. The Bible presents it as something which is going to be completely unexpected. In fact, Jesus used two examples to point to that. One of them is the flood, the deluge. In the days of Noah, what did people see in the surroundings? Because the, the, the earth was large. Probably, as ge geologians believe, it was one continent. It was the Pantera. We didn't have the oceans the way we have them today, but it was a huge place. And it's not like people were there watching Noah like we were taught in Sunday school. No, no, no. But those in the surroundings were, yeah, there's this old crazy dude building a huge ship. Who knows for what? He says judgment is coming. He spent 120 years doing that. Nothing happened. And just people live their lives. Because Jesus says that. People were buying, selling, getting married, getting divorced, just living their lives. And then the flood came and took them all in one shot by surprise. Another example Jesus uses is that of a thief in the night. Or, I'm sorry, Sodom and Gomorrah. People were living together. The sun, the sun came out that morning. Lot was busy with the visitors and the people who wanted to, to, to abuse sexually those visitors and trying to gather his family. And for Lot, it was a commotion. But for the rest of town, it was just another day. 
another lovely day. And then fire and brimstone came from heaven and destroyed them. Jesus says that's exactly the way it's going to be. People are not going to be saying like, now it's coming. Now we have Putin invading on the Ukraine. So count, make your calendars ready. Nope. People will not be expecting it at all. Paul uses the illustrations of a thief in the night. The thief is not saying, hey, by the way, could you please set the alarm off? Planning to swing by. Get Simba inside the house. I just need to go and check something out. No. They come unannounced. That's exactly what Jesus says. What Paul repeats here. It's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like the birth pangs of a woman. You say, ah, but those birth pangs start at certain weeks. Yes, but all of you ladies know that it is not exactly as you thought. They just come and they came, and the baby comes. Well, yes, there will be issues surrounding the world and life, but it's going to be unannounced and unexpected. Now, you may say, but yeah, but in Matthew 24, a passage Dydon spoke about, Jesus gave all these warnings. Yeah, but if you paid attention to Dydon, he said, yeah, he was talking about the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. That happened in year 70 AD. And then after that... <laughs> Then the Son of God would come. Yes, but it says immediately after. Yeah, sure. A thousand years to God is like one day. And one day like a thousand years. So when it says immediately, it's not our immediately, it is His. Which is entirely running on another clock. Even Einstein demonstrated that in relativity. So this warning signs in Matthew in a sense, already happened, but perhaps you may be thinking, yeah, but in Second Thessalonians 2, this man of sin must appear. Who's that man of sin? Well, there's an old debate that I'm not going to solve it this morning. I don't have the ability or the time to solve it. I don't think I have the, the power to solve that. But this Antichrist, yes, could be a person, but already has existed and has been there. Because Paul says the apostasy must come first. Are you waiting for another apostasy than the one we're dealing with? I can take you a little bit west of here and show you a lot of apostasy in a huge church. I'm not going to mention names. And you just turn your TV channel and go through it from 355 and up. And you'll have plenty of apostasy with lots of money spreading lies and falsehood. So the apostasy already arrived. Yeah, but what about that man of sin? That son of perdition? Well, it's funny that... Christian generations have seen that man of sin already manifest. Do you know that our church is a confessional church, 1689, taken from the Westminster Confession? Do you know that in our confession, the confession states that the Pope is the Antichrist? I'm not saying I believe it. All I'm saying is that Christians throughout the ages have believed that they have known the Antichrist. Because many theologians believe the Antichrist is just a system of evil. The whole world is under the evil one. Who is the one who opposes Christ? Who is the deceiver and the liar from the beginning? Satan. And if you don't believe me, then John, the apostle, in his letter, 1 John 2.18 writes, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... 
even now many antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. That was written 2,000 years ago. My point is, <laughs> the day of the Lord will come when nobody knows. The day of the Lord will come when you cannot count and be ready and mark the days and the times. The day of the Lord will be cataclysmic. What do I mean by cataclysmic? It will be destructive, violent. It will be finishing, finalizing, terminal. I don't even know what word to use. It's going to be something universal, destructive. Second Peter 3.10 uses this language. The heavens will pass with a roar. You guys gone to, to air shows? Fascinating air shows. They fake that they are breaking the sound, the, the, the sound barrier. Mike knows they are not. If you do that in front of people, it's, it's a noise that it's unbearable. But they, they show you the, the planes go fast, and the plane goes, and then you hear the sound. Well, multiply and multiply and elevate that sound to the nth power. And imagine the whole universe shaking and hearing this roar of destruction coming on that day. Peter says the heavens will pass with a roar and the earth will be laid bare. I don't know exactly what that means, but the Bible uses the language of regeneration, recreation, redoing of all things. Peter uses the language of the elements being melted. Of course, he was not a chemist. He was not a physicist. Don't think of it in the sense we think of it in our days, knowing more science than Peter did. But, but it's still, it's a very devastating language. The elements will melt. The earth, with all of its works, will disappear. Things as we know will be destroyed. The language in Isaiah, the heavens will be rolled up. And, and a new creation, a new state of things will be ushered in. It is something cataclysmic, destructive. It will be final. It will be a consuming event. History as we know it will end. Things will be changed altogether. It will be a day of anguish, a day of turmoil. Remember, day, not 24-hour season, event, occasion. Times and, and, and occasions, times and seasons. Don't think on 24 hours. But it will be a time of anguish. Like the pains of a woman in labor. And please remember, it is the day of the Lord. It is not the day of Putin. It is not the day of Biden. It is not the day of NATO. And it is not the day of the Illuminati. And of the global thing that is governing us. It is the day of the Lord. He has it in his hands. Only he knows when it will happen. Only he has it in control. And to the best of my understanding, at least from the little I know from the Bible, he hasn't delegated that to anyone that I know of. It is the day of Christ. And of course, it is an inescapable time. Paul says they will not escape. In the language of Matthew 24, the tribes of earth 
will make lamentation. As the lightning comes out out of the west and shoots out through the heavens all the way to the east, the sign of the Son of Man will be seen by all people. Every tribe of earth, every nation will see Christ. They will see him whom they trespassed. It is a universal, inescapable event. In figurative language that I cannot affirm it is exactly literal or not, men will seek death and will not find it. They will shout to the mountains, cover us from the wrath of him who is coming, cover us, kill us, and they will not be able to find mountains falling on them. It is a terrifying event. And I am not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches about it. It was my text today. The sight of Christ will not be friendly. It's easy now to mock the gospel. You can hardly watch a movie. Don't find, not find a cross, some Christian symbol, people blaspheme. Jesus Christ is an expression of cursing, as you know. That day is not going to be that way. God is not going to be quiet and silent. In fact, there's a psalm that God says, you think because I never came to you, I was like you? Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to come to you. But it's just patient, not wishing anyone to perish, but all coming to repentance. That's the spirit of the gospel. That's the heart of God. There's even this imagery in one of the prophets that they see him coming with blood on his robes. They ask him, what is that blood in your robes? He said, I was stepping on my enemies. Like a person steps on a wine press and he splashes on them. That's a terrible imagery. Well, it's to describe that terrible day of the Lord when God will bring every act to judgment. When everything said in the darkness will be brought to light. When God will even display the intentions of the heart. Ain't that scary? I can stand up here talking to you and appear pious and sit there and come and move around you and appear so pious. And God knows what is the intent of my heart. That doesn't scare the wits out of you. I don't know what would. That's why the gospel is not about performance. The gospel is about, yes, I want to be hidden. Not by a mountain hiding me from the wrath of Christ. No, I want to be hidden in the rock that was opened to hide me from the wrath of the law. I want to be hidden in Christ. I want to be on that day found, not with the intentions of my heart that, by the way, are always evil. Well, how do you say that? I don't say it. The Bible says that the intent of a person's heart is always continuously evil. Oh, but there are some good things you intend. Yes, because God has been sanctifying me for 42 years, not too happy so far, but he will finish it. What he started, he will finish it until the day of Christ. And that's our hope, right? But it's a gospel hope. It is not a hope in our own moralization and improvement. 
Don't let God's kindness mislead you. Please don't. Don't let God's patience misguide you. That day will come, and it is inescapable. Now there's a beautiful, redeeming contrast. And there is an escape. John and Peter said there is a name that has been given to men under heaven. Acts 4.12 By which we can be saved and must be saved. The name of Jesus. That's the escape. And here's a redeeming contrast. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers. I love it when Paul does this, but, because you're like, really? What? But, wait, wait, guys. I'm talking to you now, the church of God. Those who have come to Christ. And if you have not come, by the way, come. You can make it too. You, brothers, are not in darkness. So that day does not surprise you like a thief. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord. The great thing is that this judgment is not for us believers. We should not dread it. We should not dread that judgment. Because Paul says, it's not for you. God has not destined you for wrath. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. From the foundation of the world, God destined you to be loved by him and to bring you to his son. But I don't know if he destined me. Just come to Jesus and you'll find out. Don't worry about what he thought in eternity. Go to the cross and say, hey, me too. Come in. It's open. That's the way the gospel works. Don't overthink. People sometimes think too much. Well, are you prepared to receive the gospel? Yes, you are. You're a sinner? Yes, come. You're prepared. You're ready. Believe. Here's Jesus. Take him. That's it. If you do, God destined you to be loved. Forever. So don't dread that day. That's a redeeming contrast. You say, but doesn't verse 9 teach that we're not going to be in the seven-year tribulation? Because my favorite teacher says that. Awesome. Some think that. I would just like to ask, what on earth has the church been going through over the last 2,000 years? Do you want it worse? Do you want it worse that believers have it in China? Or in some Arabic countries? Or what they had it in the Middle Ages? That because you were reading the Bible, you were killed? And they would tie you to ropes and just stretch you until you would break? So, no, because we're the United States of America, and, and we're not going to go through tribulation. We're just going to continue making a lot of money in our stock market and living happy, and then in seven years, dumb, we're taking... If you believe that, that's awesome. When I read Revelation 7.14, here are the ones that came out of the Great Tribulation, people dressed in robes of righteousness, and I see them again in Revelation 19. seems to me it's talking about the redeemed through the ages. That God took them from seeing evil, even the language of Isaiah, the righteous is taken away from seeing evil when they die. Brother Bob died. We're sad. God just took him away from the tribulation. 
enter into the joy of your Lord. And in Revelation, you find the saints resting. Which saints? All of those who have come to Christ and have found their rest in him. The contrast in 1 Thessalonians 4.9 is not about not suffering tribulation. Because otherwise, what on earth does John 16.33 mean? In the world, you shall have tribulation. Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. So if if it means that I'm not going to suffer tribulation because I'm the believer, the friend of Israel, then I have to reread my Bible. By the way, an exhortation, read your Bible on your own. Don't let people read the Bible to you. And as they are reading, they interpose these comments. No, read it. Read it. Understand it. Pray for wisdom. Pray for illumination. But it's like, okay, what does such and such say about this? I, I'm, honestly, he has to wear his pants one leg at a time, just like I do. So I want to know what does the Word of God say about this. I'm not despising teachers. Here I am teaching you. And Dideon and Freddy and Troy and whomever stands up here to teach. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is learn to read your Bibles. When we stand up here, do you know the only aim we have? That you learn how to read your Bibles. Because we're going to go, we're going to pass, we're going to die. We're going to disappear. But the Word of God endures forever. That's the one you need to learn how to read. So... Read your Bibles and see if you see those things that you've been taught from your youth. And then verses 5 through 10, we have this beautiful contrast of children of light. Walk as children of light. And what Paul is saying is in simple language, you guys know better. Because you know better, then act better. And Because your armor is better. And what is my armor? The gospel. I have this breastplate of righteousness. Some of you, and perhaps me, tend to persecute ourselves. And we try to fix it the wrong way. Oh Lord, forgive me, forgive me. I'll try to do better. I'll try to do better next time I spoke harshly to my wife, but I'll speak nicer to her now. No, that's not the way you fix it. The way you fix it is, I saw, I saw those elbows, but I'm not going to say who, but I saw the elbows. <laughs> the way you fix it is saying, Jesus, I blew it again. My hope is built on nothing else but on your blood and your righteousness. When your hope is there, when your breastplate is the righteousness of Christ by faith, It's not that you're going to take sin lightly. All the contrary. You're going to cling to that breastplate with tears. Tears of pain because of your sin. Tears of grief because you failed again. But you're still holding to your breastplate. They'll have to do with you. I don't know if it was Job they had to do it. That he was clinging to the horns of the altar. And they had to drag him away. Well, you're going to be clinging to the robe of Christ. And guess what? No one and snatch you away from that place. Once you're clinging to him, it is not you who are clinging to him. It is he who has you, and nobody can separate those hands so you fall. And Paul says, you have that armor, the gospel of imputed righteousness. Because you have that armor, then your outcome is better. 
you will end up on the other side of this. This is a day of rejoicing for you. Therefore, wear your helmet of salvation. And may God give you joy and peace in believing. And then that brings me to the final point, which is a practical application. And it is verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another with his word. We already went through that, but, but didn't Paul say that before? Yeah, and he's saying it again. This is for encouragement, not for debate. You may say, oh, but I believe in the rapture pre-tribulation, seven years. Awesome. That's not a problem. Then encourage one another with what you believe. Now, encourage means to comfort, to exhort, to cheer up, to chin up, to push. You're watching your kids playing and you're, you're clapping for them. Go, go. That's encouragement. If that is the meaning of encouragement, by the way, the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, the encourager. That's why Jesus left the Holy Spirit for us. If that is encouragement, then let me say some things that encouragement are not. We watch the news, Fox News, or NBC, MSNBC, whatever, or CNN, or whatever, or your favorite platform. Let me tell you what encouragement, encouragement is not. Look at the mess Joe Biden and the Democrats have brought us into. Trump would have not done that. That's not encouragement. Oh, Marxism, communism is back. and It's going to take the world and our country. That's not encouragement. It's not. This is what the U.S. deserves for embracing the globalist agenda of the liberals. That's not encouragement. But I believe that. Awesome. You can believe it. You can research it. You can be persuaded. That's okay. But you do not have the right to bring it to one another. Because that text is not a suggestion. Paul is not saying, therefore, my recommendation is that you guys, no. You're free to believe, research, read, think, and approve what you care in those aspects of social, social political issues, global geopolitical issues. It is your right. Thank God we live in a country that you can say and write and believe as you care. There's one thing you don't have the right to. And I say it under the word of God. You don't have the right to bring it to church and bring people down. Eschatology is for encouragement, is for lifting up, is for cheering up, is for reminding us of our hope in Christ. Eschatology is that as we gather together, we stir up one another, not to the latest political thing I heard on Fox or CNN. No, we stir up one another to love and to good deeds. And that's not a suggestion. Is an imperative. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing, says Paul. How? Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. That's amazingly comfortable. Not theory for me. I have a mentally handicapped child. Sometimes I look at my child and I start crying. 
And I remember Psalm 115. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And he's a good God. And merciful and kind and gracious. Oh, but I don't get it. That's okay. He's still those things even if I don't get it. So we encourage one another with those things. Isaiah 54.10 Though the mountains fall away and the hills be shaken, my love, says God, shall never fall away from you nor my covenant, says the Lord who has mercy on you. We are commanded to encourage one another this way. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why is Putin raging and NATO and everybody's getting together? And are they going to throw chemical weapons or nuclear weapons? What are they going to do? And they then, they conspire against God. And against his anointed. Read Psalm 2. You know what God does? He laughs. <laughs> really? <laughs> and he sees all these powers and all these things. And he's just like, wow, <laughs> laughing at them, mockingly. That's for our encouragement. You know why? It's because I have set my anointed in Zion. I've set my king in Zion, worship the sun. That's God saying it. And we use those things to encourage one another. Because our citizenship, where do you think our citizenship is? In heaven. I know we feel this pride. Because I've traveled. I've been around. And you pull that blue passport. You don't even need a visa. Most people are there struggling with their visas. And there you are. Right? And even they look at me and say, you American? Yes. I may look Arabic to you. Or I may look, I don't know from what hole I came in Latin America. But yes, I was born here. Oh, well, very good. And you go through immigration. <laughs> right? Well, take that for heaven. Paul says our citizenship is in the heavens from where we are awaiting our Lord Jesus who will transform this body of our humiliation and make it into one similar to that of His glory. The world... It's not in the hands of anybody, but of him of whom Paul writes in Colossians. In him, all things subsist. In him, that is Jesus, all things stay together. Encourage one another with these words. Father, bless your word and use it according to your purposes. And bring consolation to our hearts, even as we see the things that we see around us. And have mercy on those who are suffering unjustly as a result of people's power-mongering and covetousness and anger. Please have mercy on the Ukrainians. Have mercy on your church and even have mercy on the Russians who are suffering because of the economic impositions that the West has put on them. Your people is everywhere. Protect your kingdom, your church. In Jesus' name, amen.